Hello and welcome back to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. I'm Ollie Smith and I'm back on the airwaves following a few weeks after the studio working on our mental health and well-being events. It's good to be back, not least because I'm joined by one of CityWire's longest serving journalists to discuss the plight of one Neil Woodford. Dan Grote is here. Dan joined CityWire sometime in the mid to late 2000s, probably when I was still at school. Uh, he's broken dozens of great stories for us, including Arch Crew notably, um, but more recently he's been focusing his attention on Woodford as part of some deeper analysis that he's been spearheading for CityWire. Dan, you're a very modest man, but it is great to have you on. Uh, pleasure oh, to have you, you here. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm all right. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Tired, but good. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, it does fall to me to announce that you must partake in the weekly rock hard quiz. Right. Uh, which is a uh, punishment uh, meted out to all my guests. Okay. Um, this week, the quiz is about wood and fords. Uh, right. <laughs> Perhaps you see what I've done there. Yeah, it's very clever. Uh, so I have uh, five questions, starting with this very easy uh, one uh, okay. to start with. Start of the ten. Yep. In the famous children's book, Winnie the Pooh, what is the name of the wood that Pooh and his friends live in? Ah, that's the easy one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> TikTok. The, the wood? Uh, it's called the Hundred Acre Wood. <laughs> right. Oh, you wouldn't it kind of does that. ring a bell. Yeah, it rings a bell now. A. Milne wrote the books after yeah. serving in World War I. Okay. Uh, there's a good film about this called Goodbye Christopher Robin. Not a children's film for anyone <laughs> thinking of sending their kids to the cinema to watch that. Um, question two. US President Gerald Ford, see the connection, took yeah. over as president from Nixon on August the 9th, 1974, following the infamous Watergate scandal. But did his presidency last a thousand days or not? Yes or no? Uh, I'm going to say no. It didn't. He okay. left office on January 20th, 1977, after 895 days in the White House. Uh, fun fact for people at home, he's the only person to have served as both vice president and president without being elected to either office by the Electoral College. I did not know that. That just goes to show how well democracy can work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's the Electoral College that creates the problems, so maybe less of it would be, more, would be better. Anyway, that's too political. Uh, question three. True or false? More species of plant and animal live in the rainforest, wood, than any other land habitat. Yeah, that sounds true. That is true. According to Greenpeace, there are more types of animal living in the rainforest than any other type of habitat on land. Okay. The Indonesian rainforest alone is home to one-fifth of all plant and animal life on Earth... Uh, and is disappearing at a faster rate than ever before because of palm oil, which is in our food. So anyone who eats palm oil in your food, me included, stop. Um, perhaps that would that would help. Um, another question, right, Dan? There's okay. two right yep. so I'm far. Starting so maybe we'll to make a majority. You're warming up. You're warming up. Um, question four: Which person with a second name Ford? Attempted to set up a small utopian-style village in the Amazonian jungle. There's another word connection in Brazil in 1928. Mm. Think famous people with the name Ford. Henry Ford. Correct. Oh. He's the yeah. founder of the iconic automobile brand. Obviously, a lovely stock if you're invested. Uh, Ford had intended the village to be a good place to supply jobs to the local population while obtaining fresh rubber for his factories. But the attempt failed. Uh, it turns out running a business in the middle of the rainforest is harder than it looks. Yep. Particularly, uh, particularly now, seeing as it doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, and final question. That was three out, three right so far. Okay, Can yep. you make it four out of five? Dan, this is all about London tube stations, okay. with which you'll be familiar yep. as a London re resident. How many times does the word wood feature in the list of London underground station names? Ooh. So not overground, just tube stops. Uh, I'm. I mean, I could 
try and go through all of them. That, that would probably Do you know not, them all off by heart? That would not make for great radio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say six. It's actually ten. Right. But you're in the right sort of ballpark. Yeah. Some people might say 30 or 40, but it's 10. So it's Chorleywood, Collierswood, Northwood, Northwood Hills, Oakwood, St. John's Woodford, uh, Woodgreen, Woodside Park, Woodford, and of course, South Woodford, which is a convenient segue on to the question that we're here to answer, Dan. Very good. Uh, which is, why have things gone a bit <laughs> south for Woodford? Uh, we will come on to that in a minute, but before we do, um, for anyone that didn't know, Tell us about Neil Woodford's sparkling career as the doyen of retail investors at Invesco. Because his investments in tobacco, yeah. uh, they didn't go up in smoke, pun intended. No. Uh, what happened there? Well, I mean, you, you can I mean, you can look at the figures. And the figures, you know, to some extent, tell the story. Um, so he takes over the Invesco Perpetual High Income Fund in... 1988, if you hold that fund, um, all the way through to sort of the end of his career in Vesco, you make, uh, I think, well, I've written it down here, 2,859%. So that's more than double what the FTSE All Share did over the same period. Uh, FTSE All Share was up 1,197%. Um, wow. And if you're looking to kind of pinpoint one moment in Neil Woodford's career uh, that sort of made his name uh, as a fund manager, it's the bursting of the dot-com bubble. Mm. Um, uh, he didn't uh, move into the uh, exorbitantly priced um, dot-com stocks that were you know, all the rage um, at the turn of the millennium. Um, and so uh, if you're kind of plotting his performance versus the market, the years 2000 and 2001 are standouts because where everything... where you know, where the values of those companies are absolutely tumbling, you know, those that's the area of the market um, that he avoided. And, uh, I mean, the, the other side of that is that in the run-up to that period, um, he wasn't looking great um, because, you know, when you had all these uh, stocks um, that were shooting the lights out, um, you know, he wasn't holding them. Uh, his performance looked quite pedestrian mm. so you had uh, I mean that is the that is the single most important sort of thing that he did and it's the reason his returns uh, is one of the reasons his returns are so good and it's one of the reasons why he you know when he was leaving Invesco he was managing about 25 billion pounds um, I mean if you look at the financial crisis he avoided banks yeah. um, in the run-up to, run to the financial crisis famously and then after that it's you know, it's his um, well, his long-standing um, enthusiasm for tobacco stocks and for pharmaceuticals, um, mm. uh, two sectors that you know over that long period have performed extremely well. Um, he benefited from the move to you know what's called expensive defensives um, as quantitative easing took hold, and um, you know there was this kind of chase uh, out of bond. Uh, there was this move towards. Um, Looking for yield um, as the yield on bonds, you know, was mm. was coming down. Yeah. Um, so in a nutshell, that's that's mm. why he, uh, you know, he was so revered. Um, and he went solo in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the sort of early hubbub. I mean, that's slightly before my time at City mm -hmm. Wire. Um, but I remember actually the first story that I wrote at City Wire was about something that he'd said. Yeah. And he wasn't to do with investment per se, mm -hmm. he said way back in 2015, this was something like the 2nd of January 2015 when I started, that the UK needed to make its mind upon Europe. He said Britain is by choice on the sidelines of this debate. We're not properly in Europe. We haven't accepted the monetary union, let alone the fiscal union, nor are we properly out. Um, Neil, that's come some 
come along some way since then. Mm-hmm. And perhaps less said about that, the better. But at the time when he was saying things like that, people were listening and people were thinking, you know, this guy, the phrase star fund manager was uh, manning about. Um, what was your impression of him at the time that he went solo? This was to, must have been one of the most sort of celebrated departures from a major fund house, yeah. um, you know, in sort of recent history. I mean, it came as a complete surprise. Um, and it was seismic. Um I mean, where you, where you, I mean, you know, you, you see fund managers moving around between different fund groups yeah. all the time. Um, but it was the kind of move that, you know, the, the stocks that he was invested in in Vesco, they, you know, they moved on the day. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they didn't plunge, but they fell mm-hmm. uh, because there was this sudden realisation that you had the most popular fund manager in the country controlling billions of pounds who was about to relinquish control of those funds. Mm. Um, uh, and so any company that was in those funds, um, you know, that it, was, it was a reason to, you know, to be cautious about that company because, you know, investors were looking at the prospects of, uh, you know, big outflows from those funds because yeah. the star that was attached to them was about to leave. And, you know, that, that is what we saw. Yeah, interesting. Um, and he seemed to be doing well, right, until about 2016, 2017, so where precisely did this, the tide start to turn, do you think? I mean, there have been some... Uh, I mean, there's... You can look at the way that he's positioned his fund in terms of, uh, you know, favouring domestic stocks, uh, mm. you know, stocks that have got exposure to the UK domestic economy because he believes that, um, you know, those are you know, very mispriced mm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of value there uh and that's not really a narrative that's kind of played out for him yet yeah um but really you're looking at kind of individual heavy positions that he's had that have gone wrong Mm. um i mean the biggest of those would be provident financial um Mm. you know with this i mean that's a position that he's held for years you know it's not something that he's added to the fund when he set up his own fund group he had investco for years um you know, and the shares fell 70% in one day um, because you had this kind of cataclysmic event where, uh, mm, you know, the chief executive left, the dividend was cancelled, uh, it announced uh, an investigation by the Financial Conduct Authority into one aspect of its of its business. Um, you know, and the problem for Woodford is that, you know, that is one of a number of high-profile you know, fairly high conviction positions occupying quite a big proportion of his fund mm. that have gone wrong. Capita is another. Yes. Um, you know, Allied Mines, even though it's, you know, not as well known a stock as Capita or Provident Financial, that was, you know, taking up quite a big chunk of his fund. And, you know, the shares are down massively. You know, it's been the subject of a short selling attack. Mm. Um uh, Prothena would be another one. Again, it's you know it's not a household name, um, but he had built um, you know a fairly sizable position um, in uh, in that business. Uh, it was uh, it had a drug trial that went wrong, um, and you know the vast majority of the value of that business was wiped out you know in the space of a day. Mm. It seems like a, enough there to keep anyone up at night. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's the case there. Um, coming on to your work on this, uh, you, your sort of articles have revealed, you know, Woodford's 
biggest backers mm-hmm. and one of those is, is Hargreaves Lansdowne mm-hmm. and that's it's it's performed this sort of um, hugely important intermediary role in kind yeah. of funneling money mm-hmm. investors money into into Woodford's fund tell us about that and and has there been any change in fact in their sort of support for him um since the stories you've written about this even in the last sort of few months yeah I mean you know I guess it's one of those stories where we all kind of knew that you know Hargreaves Lansdowne um was I mean we knew they were a big backer of Woodford mm. they've um, had him in their well, what's now called the Wealth Fifty, their sort of fund buy list. Um, yeah. They've stuck by him as performance has has deteriorated. Um, but I guess what we didn't know is just exactly the scale of that backing. Mm. Um, and I mean, I hadn't actually realised this until I found it in the annual report. So um, where a f- where a fund it, um, where an investor's got more than twenty percent of a fund then that is disclosed in the annual report for the fund because yeah. it's deemed um, a related party. Um, and Hargreaves comfortably has more <laughs> than that in um, Woodford's uh, two open-ended funds, uh, Woodford Equity Income and Woodford, uh, much more Woodford Income Focus. Um, so, uh, I mean, you had in, I've just got it written down here. Um, so 2015, um, so the fund launches in 2014 mm. and Hargreaves, um, uh, I mean, we've all seen the sort of marketing effort that, you know, Hargreaves, Hargreaves can, um, can launch. It did that for Woodford's funds. Um, so by 2015, the first full calendar year for the fund, um, Hargreaves clients owned 38% of the funds. That's 3.1 billion pounds. Um, wow. uh, it's risen to 3.4 billion by 2016. Uh, then it dips to 2.2 billion in 2017, and mm. then we've just had the annual report um, for the fund for 2018 come out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so uh, that's now dipped to 1.4 billion. Um, mm. But given that the fund has been subject to such outflows, um, so it's fallen from a peak of about 10.2 billion in. Mm. 2017 uh, to around 4.4 now. I mean, Hargreaves clients still own uh, just over 30 percent of yeah. the fund. Um, so, I mean, I guess it shows you that um, kind of uh, as a corporation, Hargreaves is continuing to um, show its support for Woodford, and its own fund managers um, are backing him um, to quite a substantial degree um so uh woodford woodford's funds are owned by all the hargreaves lansdowne multi-manager funds um mm. whose mandate sort of would include uk equities um and collectively it's around it's a position that's it's certainly it's, it's over 600 million pounds owned by hargreaves own fund managers yeah yeah and then you have the clients, obviously, mm. on top of that. We saw today, didn't we, for a story about Hargreaves on CityWire about, you know, how they've had a, a self-described horrid period. Yeah, um, in the last three Still bringing in the money, last, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. but they've had a, a horrid period. I mean, clearly Woodford is a significant part of, um, you know, their investment marketing and their sort of mm. mission to make sort of investing accessible to the masses. Yeah. Um, just how much will Woodford have been a concern for Hargreaves management and leadership, do you think? I mean, it's probably worth saying that, I mean, yeah, they did have a horrid uh, three months at the end of last year, but then so did anyone who had any shares in anything. Sure. Was, uh, the markets were great, pretty <laughs> horrific. Um uh, and so, you know, uh, so the, uh, Hargreaves assets, you know, that we're used to seeing just, you know, increasing and increasing and increasing had a rare, um, 
dip uh, at the end of at the end of last year, but then it's just hoovered up another twelve billion mm. pounds um, in the first four months of the year. I mean, admit, and you know, admittedly, most of that is just due to the stock market having rallied um, so much since the turn of the year. Uh, actually, yeah, nine nine billion of, of of it is due to that. Um, so, I mean, it gets a lot of flack for um, sticking by Woodford. Um, mm. And if you look at a, you know, a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other online stockbrokers, where they've recently launched fund buy lists, uh, Woodford's not in there, um, and where they have had him, uh, you know, he's been he's been dropped. Um, so, you know, not only are they the the biggest backer, but they're, um, uh, you know, they're not in as much company as they used to be. Mm. A lonely, lonely place, perhaps. Mm. Um, Woodford has kind of publicly attacked what he called the mountain of false information, um, which seemed to suggest to sort of readers and indeed journalists following the story that, you know, he was getting personally pretty frustrated with the situation, perhaps. Um, it always strikes me that there's an interesting angle here for, you know, for us as journalists and, and indeed as you, indeed for you. I mean, you're a better journalist than I am, but, um, well, no. you know, do, how, how does that make you feel? I mean, do you, do you have any sort of sympathy for him uh, when you, you, do, you write these stories um, about what's going on with the fund? Well, I mean, I think you have to... Um I mean, you do have to give you have to give him credit for the level of, well, the level of transparency in some areas of his of, of his business. Um, mm. You know, he, he's one of the few fund managers that that publishes everything that his fund holds yeah. every month. Um, yeah. uh, you know, with most funds, you're getting a top ten, yeah. uh, and you know, you'll be able to see everything. For most, you'll be able to see everything that the funds invested in in the annual report. But you know, that's um, oh, and sometimes in an interim report, but you know these these are things that are uh, you know they're much uh, you know you have to wait for a while to get them, and when mm. you do get them, they're usually sort of three four months yeah, out so of date. It's too late, if yeah. To... So you know it does mean that you're able to um, see what Woodford's doing month by month much more than you would with most other fund managers, mm. which you know that does make your job easier as a journalist. Um, and where you have a such situation like his, where you know obviously he's going to be under more scrutiny because of because of his performance. I mean, it's the best known fund manager in the country, um, you know, sitting right at the bottom of his investment association sector. So that's going to attract more attention than mm-hmm. it normally would, um, and. You know, it's not only the performance issue, it's the fact that he's had to deal with these pretty hefty redemptions from his funds. Uh, and so, you know, naturally, um, you're going to want to look at how that's been managed within his portfolio. And you get to see a bit more of that than you would with would with others. Would with others. Um, I mean, it's fair to say as well that, um, you know, some of the stuff... Um, uh, you have to go beyond that to kind of find out what's been going on. Um, so it's not all sort of been, you know, laid at the door and published on his website. Mm. Um, but he is 
telling us more than others, other other managers do. Mm. Um, let's just talk about the FCA's rules on unquoted stocks. Obviously, there are very specific rules there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, much of the narrative in the past few months has been taken up by you know Woodford's um, very clever attempts to work around those rules. Uh, and there's been quite a lot of quite a lot of up and down, hasn't there? There's mm-hmm. been back and forth, various you know uh, suspensions on stock exchanges yeah. and stuff. Um, the latest news today appears to be that Guernsey has lifted the suspension on Woodford's industrial heat shares. Um, that's good news uh, yeah. for Woodford. Yeah. Um, just, uh, it, but he, he's not out the he's not out of the woods yet, um, and he said publicly, you know, that he could be out of business within two years if you know performance doesn't recover and uh, you know certain investments don't pay off. So, to what extent do you think um, he's worrying right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not ducking that question, but it probably helps if I kind of talk a bit about you know why Gerns is involved in this fund in the first yeah, yeah, place. Yeah, please, please do. Yeah. Um, uh, so. Yeah, so the, the FCA's rule on unquoted, un, unquoted stocks is that you can't have more than 10% in your fund. Um, and, uh, you know, Woodford's uh, got quite a few unquoted stocks in his fund. Mm. It's, I mean, he always has had some. You know, Invesco, invest, unquoted companies have been a feature of his investing for quite a while. They're certainly a bigger feature now than they used to be. Um, and one of the issues that he's faced is that um, as his performance has deteriorated um, on Woodford equity income and as investors have pulled money, then that unquoted portion of the fund, unless he sells unquoted stocks, is going to become proportionally bigger. Mm. Um, so, and there's, uh, there's two things going on there, I guess, in that um, investors are pulling money. He's funding that by selling his listed stocks. Mm. Not only that, but his some of his listed stocks are just falling in value yeah. quite a lot anyway. You yeah. know, things like Provident Financial and Capita, which yeah. he has now sold. And then, um, it, to be fair, some of the unquoted stocks have done really well. Um, mm. So you look at something like Benevolent AI, which is sort of developing artificial intelligence to analyze uh, medical reports, um, you know, that has been one of his most successful stocks. Yeah. So you have listed stocks falling in value, unlisted stocks rising in value, people pulling money out of the fund, and listed stocks being sold to meet those redemptions, and you have the unquoted sort of portion um, yeah. growing. Quite a balancing act. Yeah, and so, you know, he's been, you know, nudging up against that 10% limit. Um, and, you know, actually now, if you counted up if you counted up all the unquoted stocks and you still counted the stuff that he's listed in Guernsey, which I'll kind of come on to um, as an unquoted stock, plus the ones where uh, they are unquoted but they've committed to list in the next 12 months, which means you don't count towards the FCA's 10% exemption, count those all, those all up, you get to 18%. So that's a lot. And it's certainly a lot for a mainstream equity income fund mm. to be holding. Mm. Um, so uh, so in order to keep kind of below that 10% limit, um, yeah, I mentioned this, um, there's, there's this exemption where, you know, if a company's committed to list within 12 months, it doesn't count towards that. Yes. So what's happened with some of his unquoted companies is once they've made that commitment, yeah. they've cancelled the shares that Woodford owns 
then reissued them mm. to Woodford. Uh, so that means that then they are recently issued shares yeah. that are going to listen within 12 months, so they don't count towards the exemption. Yeah, how helpful. So that's one, that's one thing. Um, uh, the second uh, is Guernsey. So uh, with four uh, of the unquoted stocks, um, he's listed his stakes in them and for most of them it's just his stakes um mm. so these are unquoted companies where um you know if other fund managers have stakes in them um by and large they've stayed unlisted um but with benevolent ai with industrial heat uh with sabina estates and with ombu um uh they've all been listed onto uh guernsey stock exchange um and obviously you know that's you know, it's not quite a stock exchange like the FTSE, um, uh, the, you know, like the, the London Stock Exchange. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the shares that he's listed there, they aren't actually being traded, mm. but they are listed on the stock exchange. Yeah. And that does mean that he can, you know, stay below that limit. Interesting. Um, just finally, I have to get your opinion. It's never easy to put someone in the personal uh, position of having to make predictions, Dan, but do you think he'll make it out the other side? I mean, he's got, he's certainly got a challenge to deal with this. Uh, yeah, he's got, he's obviously got a challenge to, um, uh, to deliver, uh, well, you know, to turn around his performance. Um, and you, I guess you look at where that will come from. Uh, so, you know, one thing that would help him would be um, some kind of general reappraisal of UK domestic uh, economy mm. sort of focused stocks. Mm. You know, if they start to do really well, um, you know, because of, I don't know, some uh, a Brexit deal that kind of yeah. is going to work out better for them. Um, Does that ex- exclude banks? I mean, the love affair with banks seems to be, you know, pretty over, but... Um. Well, I mean, he's, um, you know, he's not as down on banks as he as he used to be. He did have Lloyds until sort yeah. of fairly recently. Um, he sort of offloaded. Uh, but... I mean, I guess where he is, you know, his his sort of, um, uh, you know, he's got things like Atom Bank and mm. um, and actually until recently, his sort of uh, in terms of kind of financial stocks, he was more he's been more drawn towards um, specialist finance. Um, so mm. yeah, Provident Financials, an obvious example of that. Um, non-standard finance, uh, uh, the peer-to-peer um, kind of investment trusts, but he's he's actually sold. Two of, the, two of those. Um, uh, yeah, so you look at... That would be the kind of scenario that would help him. Um, uh, although it is... I mean, I think it is probably... It's pro- probably worth pointing out that, you know, it's it's not like his fund is a... It's not a Brexit fund. Um, no. You know, it's not just UK domestics that, that, that are in there. Um, you know, you've got... Well, you know, particularly amongst the unquoted, you've got a lot of biotech, um, uh, you know, um, and, you know, th- things like Benevolent AI, that's you know, it's got nothing to do really with, um, it's not a UK domestic stock um, and it's occupying, you know, quite a heavy chunk of his fund, industrial heat, um, you know, that's involved in cold fusion. That's got nothing to do with Brexit. <laughs> um, so performance is obviously one thing that he's going to um, need to deliver on. Um, but also this issue around uh, uh, unquoted companies, um, 
that really is going to be a challenge. Um, you know, and he's being more explicit now than maybe he was about, um, uh, you know, where he wants to get that level uh, of, of unquoted exposure. Um, you know, he's had this, uh, you know, in March he did this swap with the Patient Capital Trust um, where he sold some of the equity income funds, unquoted stocks in return for shares Mm. in the patient capital trust which he also runs yeah um he's probably going to do more of that but that's that's kind of a finite route because yeah. funds uh it's kind of complicated but uh, you, a fund can only uh, own 20 percent of the voting shares of another mm. company an investment trust is counted as another company it can own more if it sort of waves the voting rights on the shares above that um but nothing that woodford said so far to this that they are going to you know do that um so he's already got nine percent of the trust so he can only really do one more yeah. swap like the one he's just done sorry that's my pen um for listeners at home dan's has <laughs> fallen on the floor um and and there goes my train of uh thought no I'm, right i'm back um so he wants to get that down to 10 percent. he wants mm. to get his unquoted exposure down to 10 percent by the end of um the year um it's 18 percent now um so you're looking at moving, uh, you know, it's over £350 million worth of unquoted companies. You're looking at moving up that amount of money from the unquoted side of the portfolio to the quoted side. Um, and, you know, some, a company like Oxford Nanopore said it's going to float. That's the kind of thing that he, he needs. He needs, you know, he needs flotations and they need to be more than just listing companies in Guernsey. Mm. They need to be flotations on, you know, NASDAQ and yeah. you know. How much influence can he bring to bear on that? I mean, presumably there are there's a limitation to how much he can sort of send letters yeah. and emails to, <laughs> you know, I mean, to those yeah, companies and say, please. Yeah, I mean <laughs> he, me it's it's the decision it's the decision of the company, isn't it? And mm. um uh you know it's it just depends on whether they're at the right point in their, you know, corporate lifetime mm. uh, to do that kind of thing. I mean, he is, you know, in a lot of these companies, he is by far and away the dominant shareholder. Yeah. Um, so to an extent that shareholders obviously have influence, he's got quite a big influence. Yeah. Um, so I think because of the, you know, the attention that um, his unquoted positions have um, generated, um, you know, and he he's made a commitment. You know, he wants to he'll want to deliver on that commitment. Um, but really, that is a separate issue to just the pure performance issue. Mm. Um, and you know, there's been outflows had sort of shown signs of slowing, but they have started to creep up again. Really, since the um, since the swap deal yeah. with uh, Patient Capital was, was announced. So in the last three months of last year, outflows had sort of fallen below 100 million a month. They're now back above that. Um, so, you know, the fund's already halved in size. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it looks tough. It looks very tough. Um, and perhaps startling to see... Um, you know, how much a solution to a certain problem might be out of his control. Mm. Um, 
That was so interesting. Um, that's all that we've got time for today, I'm afraid. But thank you, Dan, and thanks for generously oh, thanks gifting for me with your time today. Um, we are out of time, but suffice to say, if you enjoy what we do with our lovely little podcast, uh, please subscribe on iTunes and do leave us a lovely review if you like what we do. Uh, we would also be interested to hear your, any of your views about Neil Woodford or perhaps any of your experiences of investing in him or with him uh, from the past or the present. So if you have something to say, you can get in touch at news at citywide.co.uk. We do read everything you send in. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye.